Hello and welcome to this episode of Dances for Buildings, the podcast where we hear the best, worst and career changing gigs that make up the life of a DJ. Just a heads up before we begin, this episode contains some strong language. My name is Emily Dust, I'm a DJ, curator and broadcaster and I've always loved the chance meetings and weird places that DJing has taken me and I feel like I'm not the only one with stories. So across this podcast series, I ask DJs that I respect and admire to share some of their stories. If you want to discover the world through music, celebrate the buildings and the communities that make up club culture worldwide, or you want to learn more about DJing, then this is the podcast for you. Joining me this episode is Bianca Oblivion, a DJ and producer who I've watched explode onto the global scene in the last few years. And although she's from LA, she draws influences from all over. So we talk about what it's like for her to come to London and play grime, and what it's like for her to go to Brazil and play baile funk. We also talk about the underground scene in LA, which sometimes gets forgotten about because the perception of LA is so bougie. And we talk about the era known as Blog House, which was around 2008 to 2010, and a point where people were just sharing random tunes, random edits, and putting them up on random blogs. And it was really like a golden era of different genres kind of merging together, which has had a big influence on her sound. So let's get into it. Bianca Oblivion, producer and DJ from Los Angeles, drawing on influences from grime, baile funk, Jersey club, bass, rave, reggaeton. She's worked with artists like Unique, Logan, Rico Dam, Sam Binger, Fox, Elisa Legsdina. And as part of her work, she's also like constantly creating spaces in LA and around the world for queer, feminine, non-binary and people of colour artists through her work with crews like Cool Los Angeles, Club Aerobics and now Warp Mode. And she also in all her free time, has a long-running show on NTS. Bianca, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It is so nice to see your face. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm really, really having um, a nice time being back home. I've been on the road a lot, so it's been a good time here. It's nice to have some time here with my family. Yeah, because you've been touring. I mean, you've been touring a lot, and we're going to talk about all of that. Home for you is Los Angeles. Where were your cultural influences drawn from that kind of inspired your musical taste before you were old enough to go raving? My family has always been a very culturally forward, music-loving family. So I was exposed to a lot of different music at a very young age, you know, so it's like classic rock, like opera, um, you know, like Latin music, just music from across the diaspora I'm you know really grateful that I had that exposure at such a young age do you know what I love is that like I've known you I was trying to work out when we first started chatting online and I think it must have been about 2016 right I didn't know until quite recently that you got your kind of like DJ start through student radio which is like I was like oh me too tell me about how you got into radio and also like I'm really interested in how because I feel like I have a particular experience, but I'm just wondering like how radio for you kind of shaped like the way you DJ. When I went to uni myself, I joined the radio station there and became the music director uh, my freshman year. It was really fun for me. And I just kind of enjoyed like putting songs on a show together, just like curating it in it. You know, it wasn't like a mix. It was just like me selecting some of my favorite songs and then chatting on the mic a bit. So it was very basic, but 
obviously, like, you know, that carried on when I moved back to L.A. and I joined a friend that was on the radio station, KXLU, and we did a weekly show highlighting, um, you know, music made by by women. It was called She Rocks. And that show had already been going on for a while. And I just kind of joined on as a co-host. And so, you know, I was on that show for several years, just, you know, bringing guests on and, and putting together music. And as time went on, I think my taste became a lot more electronic. And so a lot of the music was kind of becoming dance music. And so through that, I think that was definitely my entry into kind of getting into DJing, but not necessarily mixing. It was more just like selecting. How big is US radio? US radio, especially compared to Europe and the UK, is massive. So, you know, and and it's also very, very commercial. Like you, you turn on the radio in the States in nine times out of 10, any station you go on will have a commercial. You really don't get the same kind of like cultural experience as you do um, on UK radio. And so stations like, you know, university radio stations, which are kind of sort of few and far between now are really vital because that's kind of the only non-commercial radio that you're getting. And it's like these, you know, these students who are like putting in their weird music and it's kind of a really special, it's a special thing. And so I I was really fortunate to be able to have the experience um, for so many years being on that station. Do you remember like your first DJ set around that time of like actually rather than being on radio and having the I guess, comfort of being in a cozy studio with your seat, like stepping up to the decks in front of maybe like one person or maybe quite a lot of people. Um, Like, what was it like stepping into just like playing music in front of an audience that you could see? A group of my friends from the radio station, they had a weekly uh, bar night where they, it was called What the DJ Wants. And they had, you know, their friends come in from the radio station and just from around LA they had them come in and you know play a set and it was just like you know people were playing vinyl and just kind of hanging out just a local bar very small and um it was on Wednesday nights I remember and they asked me to come play and I said well I've never played live in you know in a any sort of setting it was just all on the radio but I said yeah sure I'll, I'll put a set together so I kind of gathered in gathered some records from my collection, my family's collection, put some songs on an iPod, <laughs> had the adapter cable on there, and just kind of went for it. And, um, you know, and people were into it, they were dancing. And so that's, that's kind of when it hit and never looked back. And then how long did it take you to learn to mix after that point? Yeah, the mixing came later when I first started using Serato. And I kind of was understanding well, you know, what the BPMs were doing and like just just basically how to make it all work together. And, you know, I would ask, like, I would, you know, ask for help from different DJs to like give me tips. And I kind of just started just figuring it out on my own and just practicing on my own um, and, you know, wh- wherever I could. And I didn't have decks for a long time. So I would just have to like go on different friends setups and and practice or just honestly practice when I was in the club and just just figuring it out. But yeah, it, it the, definitely the learning curve back then was a lot longer and you just took way more to just actually become good. But you better believe I was able to play on every single kind of setup there was. Wicked. I, that is one thing, isn't it? Like the versatility you have to have as a DJ, even 
Like I feel like now things are much more standardized potentially, but back then it was like, oh, there's this random mixer and Serato for people listening who don't know. I kind of call it like a magic box because it basically like means that you can play all the music from your like MP3 collection on your computer through turntables so you can like mix it you can like touch the turntables and it will move as if you were playing a record but yeah I've had many unhappy hours of like trying to plug loads of different cables into the back of a mixer during the DJ before me's last tune and that was always just like massively stressful did you have any shockers back in those days like did you have any what was one of the worst sets you played at this art gallery and um you know where was this art gallery it's in LA okay. and yeah, in Hollywood, I believe. And I was playing off of, I think it was Tractor at the time, internal mode. And uh, the woman kept like coming up to me and like not happy with music. And I was like, I'm not sure what she wants here. Like it's it's an art gallery. Like what is, I, I didn't understand what she was trying to go for. In any case, I tried a bunch of stuff. People were enjoying it, but she was just like unhappy and I didn't, I didn't get it. And then later on, she brings the CD with, some uh an acapella and instrumental of some of this oh, artist no. that she's working with oh, no. and she's like can you can you remix this i'm like what <sighs> like first of all i wasn't producing even close to production at the time and she's like live remix this from a cd and i'm like i don't know what she wants me to do so like <laughs> i load the instrumental and the acapella on to each deck of tractor and just like start playing them but like they were ever so off sync and she comes running up to me she's like what are you doing these are not in sync and i was like i don't like what do you want from me and mind you she's paying me very little for on top of all of this so i thought you were gonna say she's paying me loads so i had to do it but that's even worse yeah it was it was it was not good. Yeah. And then the artist was there. She's like, oh, I don't know what's happening to the song. Like, it's not right. And I was like, this is a nightmare. And so, um, yeah, de- definitely never played with her again. And <laughs> never, never did a live remix since. So in that situation now, because I think it's really interesting hearing people's early disaster stories I mean we all have disaster stories like the whole way through our careers and I'm sure you've got far more recent ones you can share too but like in that early one are there things that you like Bianca Oblivion now would like would you how would you respond differently in a situation like that well I certainly would have much more confidence you know I was just like grateful for any opportunity I had to play at the time and so it was just like that eagerness I was like yes I'll do anything now, first of all, I wouldn't have even been in that place. I wouldn't have even taken that gig to start with. Um, but if I had ended up in some kind of similar situation, I would have just explained to them, like, listen, you didn't book me to remix a track for you. You booked me to DJ a party. So, like, I'm sorry, but this isn't my job. <laughs> you know, it's just like laying down firm boundaries, essentially. It's like, you don't understand what you're asking because this isn't what you're like, this isn't what the job is. The job is to DJ for you. Like if you want a remix, you can speak to my manager, <laughs> you know, I have to be with people. It's just like, they don't understand. It's like, what am I going to tell this art gallery woman? I'm like, Hey, can you remix that painting for me? Like, I don't like, the, I don't like the way the the face looks on it. Like, can you just remix that really quick for me? Can you, you just know? put my face on the painting? Yeah. Can you just AI my face on there? You know, <laughs> it's like, 
It's interesting though, because I think confidence is a, obviously it's a thing that you only can really learn by doing and getting more experience. You now clearly are in a place where you can say no to a lot of stuff. And, and I think like it's sometimes, especially as a woman, it can be hard to feel like you're allowed to say no in music and that you can set boundaries for yourself. How did you know when you'd reached a point that you could do that? Because I think some people you speak to, they sort of seem to have always been like that. And then other people, like, I feel like I still say yes to a lot of stuff I should probably not say yes to. Like, how do you know, okay, it's time to set boundaries? It's very hard for me because I feel like I'm always, I'm a, I'm a bit of a people pleaser. And, um, and I also just really appreciate different opportunities and I'm not you know I'm not set on like one type of gig or one type of event and I I'm really also you know I, I always really want to stay connected to the community so I probably can you know I do say yes to things that maybe I shouldn't but I do anyway because I feel like it you know can make a difference in you know some situations or some people's lives um, which is a good thing I think but and and you know from another perspective I think like I am human. I do need to limit the amount of work that I am taking on. And just by sheer like volume of requests and like, you know, ability of what I can actually do, I have had to say no to a lot of things, especially production. Mm. I think I've said no to more production requests than anything else. For gigs, you know, um, it is harder to say no. But I I have started for sure. I mean, I have said no to a lot of gigs. Um but that's definitely been a lot harder. And I think it's become easier now with, you know, a team working with me, you know, agent and manager, and they'll definitely be like, yeah, we're going to have to say no to this because, you know, X, Y, Z. And it's more of a, a strategy and sort of like making sure that, you know, again, you don't burn out or you're saying yes to the right gigs or saying no to the gigs, you know, to leave room for the other gigs. So mm. it's just really being more mindful of these things and just really thinking kind of of the bigger picture. Good advice for anyone. Uh, I remember reading an interview with you uh, where you sort of talked about the big influence that blog culture had had and also the like distinction between like high and low being kind of different back in the day. Can you just explain what you mean by that? Because I have a question about high-low. <laughs> yeah, I just think, you know, when when um, sort of people started being able to make edits and remixes more easily and this kind of the, the DJ worlds were sort of blending electronic with hip-hop and everyone was kind of just partying together in the bloghouse era, um, I just think like they were just making really silly kind of cheeky songs and, and, and no one was even thinking like, Oh, is this going to get signed? Is this going to get synced? Is this going to get this X, Y, Z? Is this going to get streamed? No, it's like people are going to post these on a blog and you know, it's going to take half an hour to download this MP3, but it's like, it's just kind of this exciting little hunt that everyone was trying to find these weird tunes and you would hear them out and everyone would be like downloading them when they try to, you know, when they got home and it was just trying or trying to find even what the DJ was playing. So it was this kind of exciting time. And what, what kind just, of era are we talking like to 2010 around then? Yeah, just like, or like around then or a couple of years before that, too. Um, it was just like this fun people were having with with remixes. And there were some really bad remixes, of course. But, you know, it's just it didn't matter. People were just trying to have fun with it. And I think, you know, people now are 
are so concerned with being taken seriously as artists, which of course is important, but I think it also kind of lost some of the fun of it. It's interesting, isn't it? Because there's like, you know, all these debates around the number of edits that DJ play or what the edits are. You know, there's some people who are like, absolutely like scandalized by the idea of someone playing like a Spice Girls edit in their set. And then there are other people that are like, it's fun. Like, why can we not do that? Now there's kind of like two scenes where there's a real divide between the people who like that and the people who are a bit more like self-proclaimed serious. Yeah. I mean, again, I I guess I'm not won't be taken seriously by the self-proclaimed <laughs> no edit club, but um <laughs> I mean I'm out here making edits, spice girl edits of my own tunes, in fact. So Which is great you- and totally works. <laughs> There you go. It's like, well, I did make a serious tune and then I made an edit of it. So <laughs> maybe it's ruined. Well, I read, but I read as well that I was like, I, I, I do find it fascinating because I think like some sets I'm like, oh, I'm going to try not to play any edits. And then other sets I'm like, oh, I really need to play some edits to kind of hook people in. And like, that's, that's nothing to do with me as a DJ. Like, I, like sometimes when I do, I'm like, what am I saying about myself? And I'm like, no, but I have to, pl- you have to play to the room in front of you. Like, and if that's what they need in that moment, you can just do you and play something obscure and like everyone will just like leave the dance floor. You can, it, I think that's always been a divide, isn't it? Who Are you playing for yourself? Or are you playing for the dance floor? Exactly. And yeah, if you <clears throat> look at any set list of mine, you're just going to see loads and loads of edits. And it's like, if I, I can play a set with no edits, sure. But you know, what's the point, really? I mean, remixing is an art in itself. So I don't know why that can't be respected as its own thing. Like, why can't a remix be held on the same level as, you know, an original tune? Like, why not? I read something about edits as well being like a big response after the pandemic of people just want to go out and like have fun and have some joy and like that actually dancing together should not feel, you know, serious. It's like meant to be fun. Yeah. And it's just like, what kind of a vibe do you want? You know, what kind of a party do you want to go to? What kind of a party do you want to curate? And it, it's just like, whatever, it, no one should shame anyone for enjoying what they enjoy, really. I wanted to ask you about um, the LA scene specifically, because I feel like there's such a misconception about LA sometimes that like everybody is, you know, hanging out by palm trees drinking <laughs> green juices or whatever which totally exists but like there is also like a thriving underground if someone was to like go to LA and try and seek out like a proper party with like some grit like what would be your kind of current recommendations for like clubs or promoters to check out yeah you'll probably not find the music you're looking for if you're going into the the um regular houred clubs let's say i think if you're looking for more kind of like underground sounds you're going to want to hit ra and some of the names you'll see are um of the parties are my own party warp mode um lights down low serenity link direct drive um jet lag there's many many others uh, i'm blanking on but some of the more global club um, sounds you'll hear uh parties like baile no nazar pangea um parties that foreigner is doing and yeah that's kind of a, a good summary of the la scene i think on a given weekend maybe only one of these parties is happening so it's like there's there's different rotation of parties and nights on the monthly basis nice 
Okay, we've reached the bit of the podcast where it's called Crossfade. We kind of try and unite the two sides of um, like DJ conversation slash debate online. Sync or no sync? No sync. Pioneer or Alan and Heath? Pioneer. Day job or DJ full time? If you would have asked me a few months ago, I would have said day job, but it's currently uh, DJ full time. Boy. And produce. <laughs> yeah, two full time jobs. Should DJs produce and should producers DJ? Not necessarily. Uh, is there a limit on the number of edits a DJ can acceptably play in a set? No limit. <laughs> What's your panic tune if you've accidentally cleared the dance floor? <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Oh my God, that's a hard one. Um, currently, I think it's, it's some kind of like fun old school Latin house song. I think um, I, I'm coming to mind uh, like Robbie Rob's Boricua Anthem is like a, such a good one. And uh, yeah, there's loads of other ones, but just just getting people like, you know, in a happy mood is always a good, you know, comeback. <laughs> yeah. What's your favorite effect? Gotta love the the classic uh, high low pass filter. And which is better, home gig or away? That is really really tough because some home gigs can be complete shit, and so some away gigs can be as well. But I would say, um, I right now I'm taking more away gigs, but that doesn't mean I don't love LA. I have all the love for LA. That brings us nicely onto part two, and I want to chat to you about like your experiences of playing abroad. remember the first gig you ever did abroad yes I played um I was it's a 2015 I believe I was in uh Florence and I played with the uh with the Numa crew and Chrono Chrono and Slush at the time and um it was in the peak of summer it was a uh, July or August and so it's usually when uh, Italians go and you know on holidays so it wasn't like a crazy crowded club but boy was it hot and um yeah it was it was still really fun it was just like you know the guys were were so fun and and crazy and we were just all dancing and it was just a really really good time what did it feel like kind of stepping off the plane into Italy and being like I've never met these people before and now I'm totally in their hands for the next 24 hours or whatever yeah it just it was exciting you know I was just kind of taking it all in and we had been chatting you know for a bit so they really made me feel comfortable I mean, we had hung out before and had dinner and so you know very very Italian hospitable welcoming vibes I wanted to ask you about your recent trip to Brazil um was it your first time by the way yeah it was my first time in South America outside of just being in an airport to connect you know I've obviously have been really inspired by Brazilian music and culture and just actually being there connecting with the artists and the people and the culture was just incredible yeah because you've been inspired and you made loads of funk edits over the years as well how did the reality kind of match up to I guess how you'd imagined well you know unfortunately I didn't get to go to a funk party while I was there but just kind of hearing different artists incorporate you know funk into their sets a lot of them music that I was um, hearing and playing within the parties that I was at was a bit more like electronic, you know, kind of like um, bass techno type vibe. But yeah, still, still like sort of being in that environment with Brazilians playing, you know, whatever 
music they were producing or putting together was just really, really beautiful and incredible. Amazing. Are you, were there any like really memorable sets on that tour? I was only really there for a week. So I was in, uh, I played uh, in Rio twice and then in Sao Paulo. But I would say uh, my set with Festa Wobble was definitely the highlight. It was their 10th. 10 year anniversary yeah 10th year or 12 year anniversary one of the two I think it was 12 year actually and um it was like outdoors in between these two buildings it was like a parking lot a car of a car structure and um they had a big kind of circus looking tent over it in case it rained and this massive massive sound system you know just like those stacked speakers you see you know and um, yeah, we, it went till like 7 a.m. and people were just there dancing the whole time and people were just going crazy. Guys taking their shirts off and just the energy was magnetic. So yeah, it was definitely a really incredible set. That sounds amazing. Did you play any funk or like some of your funk edits? How did they go down in a Brazilian context? Yeah, people loved it. And I was, uh, you know, obviously a bit nervous because I was like, oh, man, like, am I, you know, am I going to be playing the right ones or what's going to happen? But they didn't care. They they were loving everything I was doing. And at one point, um, I had there were some like ballroom MCs that were in the crowd, and they kind of got on the mic, and it was like this whole thing, and they were dancing behind me. So that was like really incredible. And I later actually got in the studio with them, and we had a little session together. Oh, amazing! The, another place that you're really associated with the sound of is the UK with grime. Like you've worked with Rico Dan, who's part of Roll Deep, and you've got like you know, loads of really grimy sounding tunes. Like how has it felt like when you've come to the UK, like playing grime, how do you sort of um, approach that? Yeah, again, another sort of context and where I was very nervous to play, you know, a grime in its birthplace. But, um, you know, I think when I first really like got into like a grimy set when I was in Bristol, it was a very small setting, but, you know, people or like loving it. And they think they were just really surprised by someone who's not British at all coming in and playing kind of their own take on grime and sort of that sound. Um, so that was kind of, uh, you know, that I was a bit of a relief for that, you know, to take that step, especially in somewhere like Bristol, where it's like, you know, kind of like, you know, the the art of UK sound system culture is like kind of really upheld. Um, but uh, very recently, uh, well, actually, when I was in tour just in August, I was at Settle Radio and I was on DJ Jetta's show and we did a back to back and he's, you know, very tapped into the grime scene. So we did a whole back to back set with, you know, different MCs, including Logan, actually. And um, it it was just incredible. Like we were just going like, you know, throwing on instrumentals back to back and just doing the whole, you know, just live MCs, just like kind of just like throwing on tunes and just just cutting and cutting and just the spin backs. It's just the energy was peak. So that was like kind of my first, I think, real just pure grime set, you know, with MCs, the whole thing. And it just went really well. And it was just kind of it was like um, I felt really like validated in my sort of like grime knowledge and like you know love for the music MCing is another big debate in DJ culture of like should you have MCs on sets and it's like if you're from certain genres it's like anathema but then obviously grime like that's an integral part of it and actually so is radio so um it must have been quite fun to do like the full you know 
like almost back to your radio roots, but in a very UK context where it's like three hours of MCs going like back to back, tune for tune on on your tunes. Yeah, yeah, and exactly. And playing my own tunes, my own instrumentals with the MCs is just like always such a trip. You know, I, I'm like, oh my God, like this is like, you know, when I'm making these tunes, it's like this is what I envision and actually happening live is like so exciting. The really good ones will bring it to life in a way that you can't imagine like when you're just making it cold in a studio. Yeah, exactly. Outside of like the UK and Brazil, do you kind of like vary your sets depending on where you play? Do you try and sort of cater to like local sounds and so on? Or do you just come in and do like your plan? Oh, always. I always cater it to the party, the moment, the city, you know, everywhere. You know, there's certain things that are going to go off in, you know, the US South that are not going to go off in, um, you know, Germany. And I think when people, when, you know, DJs kind of like throw in sort of some local flavor, I think it just makes all the difference and has you make, you know, you're able to connect with the audience a lot more. Mm, Yeah, definitely. So you mentioned like your trip to Brazil recently was your first time in South America and you're like someone with Mexican heritage. And I wondered, uh, firstly, how it was kind of seeing um, dance music and like latin music i know brazil's obviously super different to mexico but like how it was seeing club music interact with like latin sounds in a completely different context in a completely different part of the world and then also just generally like how you feel about the kind of rise both within the states with people like nick leon etc like getting all this kind of attention at the moment um as producers like how you how it makes you feel about the future of music and and yeah like how it feels to kind of be part of that i think it's incredibly exciting and the the sounds that are coming from all kinds of different artists of the you know latin diaspora is just really really beautiful like obviously you have labels like nafi tra tra tracks and just like labels you know worldwide that are kind of fusing electronic music but also with this like you know with like these sounds of like indigenous sounds or you know uh, these rhythms that are like you know after latin rhythms and just sort of this blend of cultures and and music is just sort of really fresh and exciting and i think it's kind of brought a lot of life into you know you know genres like techno and and house and left field club and i think a lot of other producers are kind of following suit who are not part of the diaspora but are just kind of influenced by that music because it's just so um you know lively and just like vibrant your music crosses so many boundaries you know you've got elements of baile funk and you've got elements of grime do you think there's a kind of responsibility when it comes to like using sounds from like different cultures because i think you're someone who's whose music very naturally like draws influences from loads of different places I think you know I'm always very like um respectful of sort of the cultures and the music that I'm drawing inspiration from like I'm never saying like I am making this music I am this artist but I am you know I'm pulling from influences from these you know places and this these musical traditions but you know I always want to make sure that I'm like you know crediting artists and influences and making sure that the artists that I'm working with and the MCs and whoever are, you know, equal, um, you know, equal artists and, and 
in taking part in like the decisions and, and everything and the whole process that's going on. So again, like I'm, I always just want to make sure that every artist feels respected and, you know, a part of the process. And you're, um, you're so rooted in like the LA underground scene, but also like you have all these like amazing global connections. What's your sort of, um, feeling on how community can like shape the way dance music evolves? I think it really just starts in the community. It's like you're you're drawing influence from the people around you and for the people coming to your shows all the time and showing you support. As I said before, you know, when you gave me the question about like, you know, LA or abroad or, you know, it's a really tough question because obviously I found I've, I got my start playing to the LA crowd and to the scene. And so it actually, you know, your, your hardest critics can just really be the people around you, right? And uh, the the homegrown crowd. But um, yeah, it's it's. I think it's really invaluable to have grown up in a place like LA and been a DJ there because it's honestly not easy <clears throat> to throw a party, to play a party. It's like you really have to bring something special. And um, yeah, and I and I'm just like really grateful for sort of the influences that I've had throughout my career in LA. Cool. Bianca, thank you so much for chatting to us. It's been lovely having you on the podcast. Yes, thank you so much for inviting me on. This has been a really incredible and fun time speaking with you, Emily, as always. I really love this chat and I love how open Bianca is about how much her confidence has grown since the early days of DJing. It also kind of surprised me how similar our journeys have been in that radio played such a key role for both of us in starting out. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I hope you've enjoyed it. And if you did, please like it, share it, leave a review, tell a friend who might like it. You can also follow us on socials at Dances for Buildings. This episode was produced by Erica McCoy and the music was by Julia Tess. It was presented by me, Emily Dust. 